Welcome to the What's Literacy Got to Do With It podcast, a podcast for exploring all things literacy in Quebec and beyond. Literacy is more than knowing how to read and write. It's also about empowering each other and yourself to thrive throughout all aspects of our lives. We're your hosts, Jamie Cudmore and Chris Shee. Let's get to it. Jamie, welcome hey, back Chris. to another episode of What's Literacy Got to Do With It. How are you doing? I'm great. Yesterday, I had a nice day because it was my birthday. Oh, yeah. Awesome. I always joke that uh, it's my it's my national holiday <laughs> for me. <laughs> had a nice afternoon off and just hung out in my backyard. Yeah, so I'm good. How about Happy you? Birthday. Thanks. Working on your stuffed hand and in your backyard. Yeah, exactly. Celebrating your birthday. I'm fantastic. Yeah. I'm really, really ready to go and looking forward to this episode of season seven, episode three. What's our theme today? What's our title of our episode today, Jane? Well, we're learning to tell your story. It's a great episode. Every time we come together, we say it's jam-packed, but it is jam-packed. It is. So if you're listening to this, you know, just hang out. We have four special guests on the program today. So without further ado, we have Debbie Hines and Andrea Stanford from CBC Montreal, and the recipient of the 2020 Frida Hudson Volunteer Recognition Award, Kathy Lepore from Yamaska Literacy Council. Oh, what a mouthful. Wow. Drumroll. Our first guest on our program is Akila Newton, the CEO and founder of Big Dreamers and Akila Newton Projects. And we would certainly encourage you guys, your listeners, to get to their website, Big Dreamers website, which is www.bigdreamers.ca. And in particularly about us for Big Dreamers, because you're going to learn how the Big Dreamers goal is to celebrate multiculturalism and individuality through the lens of diversity. Hugely powerful. And plus Akila's passion for arts and activism to create resources to educate youth about Canadian black history. Wow, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. A great conversation. So, Jamie. Hey, let's get to let's it. Get to it. Welcome, everybody, to What's Literacy Got to Do With It? How are you? I'm really good, thanks. Thank you for having me. All right. I'm super, super excited to have you on. And and before we launch straight into the podcast and Big Dreamers and everything about you, I just wanted to read off of your website, your bio as an introduction so that the listeners know who I'm talking with and who we have the privilege of having on the show today. Akila is an activist, entrepreneur, and author. She has always had a fascination with the arts and pursued her passion by studying music, drama, and dance, and performing in productions at John Abbott College as a member of the Montreal Jubilation Gospel Choir. In 2003, she moved to the UK to attend university at the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts. After earning a bachelor's degree in arts, music, and entertainment management, she returned to Montreal and created an organization for artistically inclined youth. She founded Ouverture with the Arts, O-W-T-A, in 2009, an organization committed to making performing arts education accessible to youth from all walks of life. She recognized that the arts have the power to unite communities and made it her mission to produce O-W-T-A programs and events that spark discussion about social change. One of OWTA's most popular programs is their annual Black History Month school tour. The school tour visits schools around Canada and educates youth about Canadian Black history using music and spoken word. And in 2018, Akila co-wrote a children's book called Big Dreamers, the Canadian Black History Activity Book for Kids, Volume 1. The book highlights the achievements of Black Canadians whose stories are often left untold. Wow, this is super. How, how do you feel when I go through that, when I when I introduce you that way? Do you, do you have any feelings? <laughs> I feel tired. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Wait, wait, I, what, I did all that? Okay. <laughs> I love no. it. I feel tired. I, I love your honesty. It's fantastic. <laughs> no, I do feel a sense of pride, though, because, you know, after university, you never know what path you're going to take. You never know where life's going to lead you. So I'm happy that I kind of did steer 
on the same track of, you know, working in the arts and entertainment industry. And I'm really, you know, pleased that I was able to marry that with community work and, and activism. Amazing. Amazing. And, and, you, and I just see here that you're in the news. You've been on CBC Radio Montreal. You've been on Diversity Channel. You've been on, on the, the Maryland, um, was it the yeah, Maryland yeah, Dennis Maryland show Dennis as well? <laughs> yeah, which is funny because I didn't realize that she was a big deal because I, I don't really watch a lot of TV. I'll watch Netflix on my computer. Yep, uh, yep. So I heard the name in passing. And then the day the interview aired, I got all of these text messages from friends saying like, oh, my God, you're on Marilyn Dennis. I was like, <laughs> yeah. And then I did some research. I was like, oh, wait a second. I probably should have been nervous for the interview. So it's a good thing that I didn't know beforehand. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, we can build these big, big stories if we, we hear beforehand. So that's congratulations. Well, listen, before we get into Big Dreamers, can we sort of share, can you share a bit about your background, your story, how, how things sort of, you know, came to, to pass and where they are today? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said in my bio, I've just always, you know, had a fascination with the arts. When I was younger, I was, you know, always dancing or in the school plays or I sang in a gospel choir, whatever it may be, I love performing. But then I remember I got involved in a, a school play behind the scenes. And I just I loved being behind the scenes, coordinating things and kind of bossing people right. around, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in terms of university. And I was researching different programs. And then I just, I think I just Googled something as simple as arts, music industry, management. And then I stumbled upon the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts. And they had a, an entertainment management bachelor's degree. In, and I, I was blown away because I'd never heard of that school. I didn't realize that there were programs like that that existed. And, and we had a similar program here in Montreal at Trebis, but it was only a certificate program, but I really wanted uh, to right. earn a bachelor's degree. So I was mm. like, you know what, I'm going to go out on a, on a limb and just apply and see what happens. So wow. I think at this point it was maybe, let's say, I don't know, June or July when I applied and the semester was meant to start obviously in September. And I think I had maybe eight to 10 weeks before I found out that I got accepted, got my student visa, got student loans and literally moved to England. It was an incredible experience. I loved every moment of it. And I just fell in love with, you know, working behind the scenes in, in the arts and, and entertainment industry. So that's where I found that I was really thriving and shining. So after graduation, I, I moved back to Montreal in 2006 and I tried to find a job for, for a while. I really wanted to work in the music industry and either a &R mm -hmm. or even artist management. Maybe I wasn't really sure. I just knew that I wanted to do something in music, but okay. there were so few jobs here in Montreal that I, I couldn't find anything. And then I didn't really want to move. So I'd just come back from, from England. So I just kind of wanted to stay in Montreal for a few years and just, you know, kind of like plant some seeds here and, and sort yeah. out my life before I just made another huge move. So I ended up in the end managing a performing arts school for kids and although I really loved the school, I just, I didn't like the fact that the prices were ridiculously expensive. Right. So that really didn't sit well with me because they were basically just marketing their programs to, you know, upper middle class and, and wealthy families. And I was like, well, mm. that's great. But what about other kids who have even more talent than, than these children, but just can't afford it. So I wasn't really happy in that job. So I basically left that job. I think I just did some Bobo like ad, admin job just to pay the bills, but I knew it wasn't my passion. Right. And at the time I just, I had an epiphany. I was like, you know what? I'm like, I have a skill set. I've been working in the arts for so long. I have tons of contacts, tons of colleagues that are either dancers, musicians, or actors who have backgrounds in, in teaching and working with youth. I was like, I'm just going to start an organization that's accessible to all youth who want to create and be engaged in the arts. So in 2009, Overture with the Arts was born. <laughs> so that's incredible. basically a, a small part of my backstory. Yeah, I'll bet. So I'll bet. Just a small part. So did yeah. you, you didn't have anybody, so you, you just kind of thought this up on your own. You, did, you didn't have a mentor or someone, you kind of bounced that idea off. You, you kind of just had that epiphany and, and decided that you, you had all these contacts and like, I'm going to back myself in here and I'm going to start this organization myself. Yeah, I tend to just Maybe. have ideas and just hit the ground running and only ask people for advice after I'm kind <laughs> of <laughs> too deep into things and I can't back out. 
I literally knew nothing about the nonprofit and charity sector. So I was learning as I went, as I was going and, and as things progressed, I actually met people who did in, in the end mentor me, but Mm -hmm. I probably should have taken that step first where I connected with mentors (laughs) beforehand. But I mean, 12 years later, I guess it worked out. Exactly. Exactly. And it's working out. That's (laughs) amazing. Well, I guess on that, then I, can you share with us about, about then launching Big Dreamers and then where it is now and what's it, what the impact it's having? Yeah, so the mission of Overture with the Arts is to make the arts accessible to youth from all walks of life. So regardless of your socioeconomic background, if you come from uh, you know an upper-class family or, or a lower-income family, it's irrelevant. We just want kids to come and be engaged and create in a very safe and positive environment. So originally the organization started out with just performing arts workshops for teenagers, so 13 to 17. But as the organization has evolved and grown, we now offer programs in all art forms. So visual arts, media arts, performing arts, digital arts, and we've expanded the age range from zero. So we do little mommy and me classes or sing-alongs to music production and songwriting for young adults up until 25. So a lot of what we do on top of, you know, teaching kids how to kind of create and and better their their art or expertise in the arts is we really want to produce art that has a message. So we place an emphasis on doing arts for social change. So whether it be uh, programs for Black History Month, anti-racism, International Women's Day, Holocaust awareness or anti-bullying, we really want to, you know, have that activist element within our programs. So from working with a lot of the high schools, the first few years the organization existed, we noticed that a lot of schools weren't doing a lot during Black History Month. Right. So we realized that that was an opportunity. So obviously as a Black female, Black history is very important to me. So I teamed up with a local artist at the time, uh, a hip hop artist, and we decided to create a Black History Month school tour. And we also realized that with the exception of Black Theater Workshop, who does incredible work and, and every year they produce a play that they tour around schools, there weren't any other organizations locally in Montreal that okay. was doing a lot about Black history. And the little that was being done in schools was about our neighbors in the U.S. They're talking about the heavy hitters, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, all incredible people who should be celebrated. However, we're in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So it really, it kind of annoyed me that I felt that some teachers just weren't doing that extra work to just find, you know, people to celebrate in Canada and use that in the classroom. Uh, So what was funny is on top of, you know, noticing that, there wasn't anything being done. A friend of mine actually asked me, this was in February, 2018. She's actually from the UK and she's like, you know what? I want to teach my young kids about Canadian black history. Can you recommend some books? And I was like, yeah, of course I can. I'll, I'll compile a list and I'll send it your way. So as I was doing research, I was like, wait, there are no books about Canada. (laughs) Oh my word. Yeah. So I found one children's book and I believe it was written in, I think it was something like 2012 or or no, no, sorry. I think 2002. That's what it was. So it was really dated. Apart from that, I couldn't find any other children's book about Canadian black history. So I was like, you know what? I'm like, at this point, we've been doing our black history month school tour for about, I think seven years. So I'm like, I have all the knowledge. I'm like, I'm just going to write a book. Again, me just having an idea, having no background as an author or in publishing, but I was like, I'll figure it out. I'm going to do it. So this was February 2018. I ended up collaborating with my my colleague, uh, Tammy Kube, and then the book came out October 2018. So about seven months later. So when I have an idea, I literally just hit the ground running and there's no stopping me. <laughs> What a wonderful trait. It's such such good to hear. And, and for the listeners, you know, it's just a, a lesson to back yourself and back your, you know, believe in yourself and believe in your your ability and your get up and go-ness. And, you know, it's just, just a fantastic, you know, congratulations for doing that because you, you saw a need and you, you're filling it. So it's just amazing. Um Cool. So next, next, I actually have here. This is so cool. You, you've got a read along on your website. You've got a read along uh, section. Can you share a bit more about that and and the impact that the read along series is having? 
Yeah. So the real read along is to accompany my latest book, which is called Movers, Shakers, History Makers, the Canadian Black History Book of Rhymes. And essentially that book is a, a version of Big Dreamers Volume 1. So Big okay. Dreamers Volume 1 is an alphabet with 26 different people. And I actually noticed that when I was reaching out to libraries to get it, you know, on the bookshelves, a lot of libraries were like, we love the content. We love the concept, but we can't carry activity books because kids color in them. And that never occurred to me. So I was like, oh, okay, that's a problem. And again, I was like, well, I've got another idea. So I decided to come up with a book of rhymes with the same people. So volume one, kids get a more comprehensive, I guess, introduction to people, whereas movers, shakers, history makers is fun rhymes. So the read along on my website is basically me just reading each page of the book and I just wanted a fun way where kids could follow along and, and have the author read the story to them. And honestly, a lot of schools have been using it in the classroom, which is so beautiful. It, it just fills my heart with so much joy. Uh, and it was really fun to produce the video. Amazing. Amazing. And are they using it digitally in the classroom or are they actually physically? I mean, I, I, obviously, over the last 12 to 18 months, I mean, it would it's been done digitally, I guess. Yeah, so, well, they've done both. So it's definitely uh, digitally where they use the video online, but then a lot of schools have bought copies of the books. They have the the physical book in the classroom. So, you know, they they study the book and then I guess they read a different or use a different letter of the alphabet every day. I'm not sure how they go about doing it, but I know a lot of schools have been using it. Incredible. And and as you say, I mean, it must be filling your heart with a lot of pride and joy to, to, to be seeing that going on. So it's excellent. Um, and I guess that brings me to my next question is, who, who is Big Dreamers for and how can they get Big Dreamers into their lives in terms of, so you mentioned the schools and so forth. So is there a, a particular demographic? You mentioned kids, of course, but, you know, yeah. parents, teachers, educators, and so forth. Yeah. So what's interesting is when I originally wrote the book in my mind, it was going to be for elementary school students. But what has been a a beautiful surprise is a lot of high schools have actually been using uh, Big Dreamers Volume 1 and Volume 2 because they, you know, they use a little blurb as an intro and then they'll assign a project or a speech that a, a student has to present. So honestly, I would say it could be as young as four or even three, where you're just reading the pages to your children. And then I've even had adults tell me while I'm reading the book to my child, I'm learning a lot. So a lot of adults have learned from it too. So who knows, maybe I'll have a book for adults one day. <laughs> well, that, that, that could be, that could be, that's, you know, with your attitude to get up and go-ness, so you, <laughs> that could be an idea, another epiphany that you get up and, and do that. I mean, a lot of the, the literacy members that Literacy Quebec work with they they work a lot with adult literacy mm-hmm. and so that that could be a a great demographic to to go after because obviously the, the kids who have grandparents or or parents yeah you know, read reading uh, those those sort of those books can can help each other it's it's one of yeah. those sort of uh, processes yeah. And also what's interesting is on top of adults learning from the book, a lot of adults have said to me like, oh, I know that person. I went to school with them in Saskatchewan. So that's been really cool as well because then I get oh. your more personalized stories. Oh, right. So they actually, they, they, know, they know the people, they've, they've experienced the people that they've are in your books. Yeah, I've had, it's oh, happened to me a few times now where people amazing. have shared stories with me. I'm like, oh my God, that's incredible. Wow, that, that must feel good as well. Yeah, and you know, and I, I've been lucky enough to be able to actually, you know, meet several people that are featured in my book and and talk to them and just thank them for all the work that I they've bet. done. So it, it's been such a beautiful experience. All right. So can you also share some some issues and some topics that that you feel need to be discussed and maybe, you know, what solutions you have to those those issues um, today and and into the future. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, I find there's a big issue with the history curriculum in Quebec and in schools. It's very one-sided. It's very whitewashed. We don't hear diverse stories about, you know, the Indigenous community, the Black community. We don't learn about the Holocaust. And I I don't understand why that still is in 2021. I I think that 
be changed. So that's why I, I really, you know, work so hard to create these resources. So then schools have the materials where they can go into schools uh, and teach kids about, you know, the black community, because uh, there are so many incredible black people that have helped shape, you know, this country and their stories need to be shared. So it is a big problem that the, the history curriculum has not been changed. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing work that you're doing because, I mean, that, that just openness, that, that understanding of, of that history coming in, it's, it's only going to be a good thing. It's only a good thing as in to understand, you know, what that history has been because, you know, it's almost that if the history department doesn't want to talk about it, it's, yeah. it's only going to hinder progress and evolution and, and so forth, isn't it? I mean, well, absolutely. And also for young kids, representation really yeah. matters. If, if they see someone that went on to do incredible things for this country that look like them, they're yeah. going to be inspired to have really big dreams and they could be the next Mikael Jean. They could be the next, uh, you know, Willie O'Ree in the, in the NHL. So it's really important to share these diverse stories. And that's it. And the old, a rising tide lifts all ships, you know, in terms of yeah. just that's going to just create more harmony, more success story, and just make the world a, a, a better a better place all around, isn't it? So Absolutely. And also history is cyclical. So we, we don't want to sweep yeah. stories under the rug. And then, you know, yes. you could see today that we have, you know, probably one of the largest civil rights movements in modern day history because yeah. So many things are are still happening that you know people have been fighting for for decades to eradicate racism to to change to change history. So it's like we need to share these stories because we need to to stop these these issues from happening. Exactly. I mean, and the, the history goes back so many years that I think sometimes we, we because we only live in our world in our in our that, that our own eyes see we we don't even. We don't even sort of see that, you know, I've only been here for 38 years, you know, so, but there's been a, like hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years before that. Exactly. And so like, you know, we can, we've got a chance to, to change the future by, by, you know, getting things, things right today. Yeah, absolutely. And what's funny is so many people are, you know, they, they see things on social media and they're in complete shock. They can't believe what's happening. It's like, well, no, this has always been happening. It's just people have video footage of it now. That's right. Exactly. Like, it's news to you because you're seeing it, but it's not news to, you know, people from the BIPOC community who have experienced this for centuries. hundred percent, hundred percent. No, well said. So it's just, it's, Again, I keep repeating myself, but it's just amazing the the exposure and the, the light that you're shining on this on these sort of issues and so forth. It's just so needed. So I guess it, how does literacy tie back into your work and and are there some people and organizations that you would like to collaborate with with your message? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, literacy ties into this in the sense that, you know, these are books for children. So it is early childhood development as well. If you if you start reading these stories to young kids that are, you know, age two or three, they're hearing these incredible stories. And then it just gets kids thinking and and they're just they have a better understanding of the world and, and they become more empathetic. And it's just also going to help them with problem solving skills in, in the long run. So I think literacy is extremely important and sharing these stories at, at a young age is definitely going to, you know, help shape the future leaders of, of tomorrow. So, I mean, I would love to partner with, with more school boards. I'd love to partner okay. with more uh, organizations in the BIPOC community. I would just love to be able to just share these stories on a more macro level. That's ultimately what I'd, I'd like to do. Fantastic. Well, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna help help that cause <laughs> help that cause. What's your vision for the next five to ten years? I mean, what what do you want to see occur? I mean, personally, in terms of my business, I would love to see my books in every Canadian elementary school and in high schools as well. Yeah. I would love for that. I'd love to write even more stories. Uh, I have more products coming out. I have a, a jigsaw puzzle coming out actually right. uh, in June of Harriet Tubman. So I'm really excited for that. 
I have a line of coloring crayons coming out. So different skin tones and as well as primary mm-hmm. colors. So lots of products that are just really celebrating diversity and multiculturalism. And I just mm-hmm. want to normalize these stories. I don't want people to be so surprised when they hear about, you know, inspirational Black Canadians or when they hear about stories about Viola Desmond and why she's on the $10 bill. I want that yeah. just part of the regular history. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And just off topic, I, I just, when you hit, when I, when you just told me about the, the crayons and the colors that for the skin tones and things like yeah. that, I mean, Band-Aid, there's not one that suits your skin color, right? It's just, it suits my skin color. And so like what just normalize that, make, make yeah. a, a Band-Aid that, that actually, you know, is diverse. <laughs> yeah. Well, color, you know. Yeah, well, what's interesting is the last summer when we saw all the protests going on around the world in support of the Black Lives Matter movements, we saw all these large corporations, uh, corporations that, you know, were jumping on the woke wagon and pretending yeah. pretending that they cared. Well, in reality, it was just performative nonsense. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Band announced that they were coming out with a line of Band-Aids that were different skin tones. And it's just like, oh, funny, yeah. because for decades, people have been asking for this. <laughs> and now all of a sudden... <laughs> You, yeah. you see that it's a you know a profitable uh, venture to do, so they're just yeah. jumping on 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 the bandwagon to to make more money. Yeah, yeah. And then we we could have another podcast on you know what's the definition of success. You know, like like profitability is is yeah. sort of deemed as success, whereas you know it's just we're just folk that success is being focused on incorrectly. And that's my opinion. You know, yeah, but what's yeah. really funny to me, though, is like they're li- literally leaving out an entire segment of the population where there are millions of people that they could sell this product to and make tons of money, but they just mm-hmm. didn't think to market to that segment. And when yeah. you look at brands, like, for example, the, the recording artist, Rihanna, she has a makeup line and she came out with a makeup line, I guess it was maybe two or three years ago called Fenty. And it had something crazy, like 48 different shades of makeup. Uh, which was unheard of at the time. And I believe it sold something in the, something effective like $50 million in the first quarter. I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but the point where like all these other makeup brands were just like, well, we also have all these shades as well. It's like, yes, but you didn't market to these BIPOC communities. That's the mm-hmm. problem. You got it. You got it. Yep. You miss out because, you know, you just yeah. weren't catering to that that demographic what else can i ask you before before we go i know because we oh it's 11 11 oh, okay. I, I mean i still right, have you got a couple more couple more minutes yeah. all right so where can people find you and and find you at your your products and your services and kind of connect or reach out to collaborate with you yeah so if somebody wants to collaborate with my organization overture with the arts the website is www.owta.org uh, and if people want to learn more about my books and what other products I have coming out in, in the near future, my w- website's bigdreamers.ca. Okay. Amazing. So we'll make sure we put those yeah. links to, to your website in the show notes so everybody can get those. So is there any final thoughts that you want to leave with people today? I mean, I just want to leave with, I guess, kids that if if they have a dream, no matter how big or small, if they work hard, they can accomplish anything and and to always dream big. Yeah. Well, you know, I just encourage everybody to take your lead, you know, like uh, example, you know, take a Kayla's lead on backing yourself in and and you 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 I think like you said is that you don't like watch a lot of TV you're kind of like in working and watch yeah. a little bit of Netflix but you're leading by example and I think if that's the only way to do it so congratulations and you're inspiring many people to to have that same self-belief and and get out there after their big dreams and and we really commend you for that so keep up the keep up the good work oh thank you so so much I really appreciate the support and you hopefully bet. I could meet you in person and we could that do another be, interview when I have products in the future. Yeah, exactly. Every, everybody listening here, we just heard it firsthand that we're going to get Akela back on the program and, and meet face-to-face and, and grab a coffee and have a, have a real podcast in person. I love that. All right. Fantastic, Akela. Well, you have a great day and Thank we'll look you. forward to getting you on again soon. Thank you. Have a great day as well. Up next, we have regional managers and communication specialists Debbie Hines and Andrea Stanford at CPC Montreal. 
that's the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation and Radio Canada, who were graciously willing to give up their time to teach us how to present or pitch our news stories to the media through using plain and clear language. Have a listen. That was that was very good. Yay. Hey, Robin. I think I recognize Robin from Mother Goose Club from when we did Montreal Children's Library. That's her. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I recognize her. Fantastic. So, so you, ha- you have kids that have, have been part of No, that? we supported one of our charities of the year, oh, two okay. year. Two years ago was the Montreal Children's Library. And in our attempts at looking at all kinds of angles, right, like not just a library, it was we we sent somebody to the Mother Goose Club to cover what they do and how important that is and what an important thing it is for new moms and and I so I went and I did uh, by myself with no kids which might have been weird. We did do with youth a media literacy workshop day with one of our journalists, which was fantastic. She sat with them, told them how a story is done. She did a great little fun video. You remember the video she did of like what is a day in the life of a journalist like. She had them play the role of the interviewer. So in the spirit of media literacy, we also know we've got a long way to go for people to understand the work that we do and how we do it, especially this day and age with there being uh, so much polarization in media, Mm -hmm. fake news, everything else. Although the fake news stuff has seemed to die down a little bit. It has died down a little bit. (laughs) I don't know. No correlation. I mean, we're we're open to that kind of discussion as well around what people just understanding what our work is because it also then opens up for people to consider it as a career. That's a super point. I was going to say to get it from the eyes, the viewpoint of of you, the journalist, and so those those people can understand where you know what what you're going through as well. That's that's just going to create more uh, impact, isn't it? It's going to create more understanding. I mean, we know that, you know, our business has to change. It's been predominantly, there's been predominantly, you know, the, uh, it has not been as diverse as perhaps it should and can be. And so how do we do that? Well, we do it by helping other groups understand how you get into the media, how you get started, what jobs are available. And then, those people apply and then the stories get more diverse because the workforce is more diverse. Like it's, it's not complicated. It's just hard. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And, 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 and on that too, when, when you both started your careers in the media, I mean, how, like if we went to school together, like back in high school, were, were you, were you always, did you always know that this was going to be your, your pathway, both of you, Andrea and Debbie? I, well, I, I don't know if high school, I had any idea of what I wanted to do at all, but in university, I, like I have a degree in communications in university or a a university degree in communications, clearly not a degree in speaking. (laughs) And I mean, I'm delighted that I have landed in a position in communications for a corporation that I strongly believe in. So I'm, yeah, I'm pleased to be here. The path wasn't very linear, but I'm delighted to have landed where I've landed. Awesome. <laughs> and you, Debbie, were, were you at the high school, university? Did you did you think that you'd yeah, end up in? I mean, much like Andrea, I don't know if in high school you, you know everything, but I knew what I liked. So, you know, I was the editor of the school newspaper and editor of the yearbook, and I was doing, you know, public speaking and story competition. So like kind of writing and that piece was a part of what I liked. I didn't know much other than I really enjoyed current affairs news. So I had a kind of, I liked politics. So I was helping out, you know, doing what I would say, you know, nerd, uh, current (laughs) affairs nerd stuff by, you know, youth parliaments and that kind of stuff. And I was writing when I got to university, it was an English degree. And then I studied public relations. So like it kind of had, it kind of had an, it had an education backbone, but did I know I was going to land here? Mm -hmm. I was much like Andrea. I respected and valued public broadcaster, 
we I grew up with two TV channels, right? I One see. of them, CBC. So you, you got to know the brand really well. Mm-hmm. And so once we got into this work, though, I think it has pivoted. Maybe it's possibly because where we are in at this moment in time with social media, with the work that the public broadcaster does, our, our work is kind of pivoted away from let's put our logo on a banner mm-hmm. to what is really at the grassroots work of community organizations and how do they connect with their public broadcaster so that we can deepen connection across the board in terms of telling better stories that reflect and strengthen our community. I think we have an advantage in Quebec that it is we are focused on English speaking Quebecers. It's that's a big group of people, but mm-hmm. I think we're we are very focused. We stay in that lane. And I definitely I would say, too, that in the time that Debbie, Debbie and I have been at CBC, it's been interesting to see it evolve from when I started there. I wasn't in communications. I was in administration and radio and television were on two separate floors and they were two completely like they were totally different. Digital was just being introduced. And to watch it evolve from no, I'm in TV while I'm in radio to well, we're hoping that everybody can file on many platforms and then physically moving together and all that stuff. It really tore down all those walls, I found. And then you just become a news organization that's, you know, like, so then you'll have like a TV, like interview that then the digital team will come in and say, amazing. Thanks for that gorgeous footage. I'm going to cut it. I'm going to condense it. And I'm going to put it online. And it's really moved from this sort of strange different bits to really one news organization representing English Quebecers. And it's the, the audience piece is really important. Like the audience shifted to where where and how they were getting the information because the, you know, technology swift shifted. I mean, if someone had yeah. told me, you talked about, did I know in high school? Well, I was like, God, in high school, I didn't even own a personal computer. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and yeah. now that would be, you know, yeah. my, we were at a store last week and my kids saw a sign that said, let's pretend it's 1995 and there's no Wi-Fi. So we'll talk to each other. And Ben was like, well, there had to be Wi-Fi in 95. And I was like, <laughs> no, there was no Wi-Fi in 95. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> So how much has that changed? Well, that is something that we integrate in our work all the time because the audience is rapidly changing what they expect from content and how they interact with us. And we are here to serve them. That's the, how this, that's how this is works. Yeah. And how they're, how they're sharing with us, how they're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like what Debbie said, I'm, I'm sending you a video of, through Facebook messenger. I'm yeah. now live at a protest and, you know, here, I mean, yeah, it's fascinating. It's and, and, and how you're getting your news and, you know, CBC does Snapchat discovery. And so, you know, people are getting their news in different ways, consuming it. It's the same bottom line, the same messaging, because that's always consistent. It's just how it's being delivered. Amazing. Andrew, did you just say Snapchat? Did you say Snapchat? So so that would be a, a younger audience in terms of, okay. Yeah, wow. CBC is on Snapchat, Snapchat Discover. It's, yeah, so they'll take it. Yeah, one of the, the assumptions that's made about younger audiences is they're not interested in news. Yeah. yeah. Actually, the wrong question or the wrong way to frame it, they're incredibly interested in news. Mm-hmm. Um, they're interested in international news. You ask any teenager, ask a 15-year-old who George Floyd was, they'll be able to tell you exactly. They knew more about that court case than most adults that I spoke to. Mm-hmm. And so they're very interested in news. They were incredibly interested in the American election. They just need it served in a different way, in a different format. So are they going to get up at 5.30 in the morning and listen to the morning show for it on like, you know, <laughs> served out to them? No, no chance. <laughs> but they still want the content. Mm-hmm. So as the public broadcaster, how do we reach them? 
I mean, Andrea mentioned Snapchat discovery. There's Instagram stories we do. We have YouTube. Yeah, there's YouTube. There's CBC News has a bunch of kids journalists who pop up in and do their own Instagram lives. So there's lots of places where we can bring the content in a different way. And as well, we want to hear from the audience in a different way. So about two years ago, we started first person point of view pieces where they are first person storytelling from the audience's perspective. And those go on CBC websites. They're clearly labeled as opinion, right? But 10 years ago, we would never have taken that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, it's just this is great content. I love it. Um, and uh, and I guess probably leads leads me on to my next question was which I completely forgot. <laughs> but uh, w- w- yeah, was there anything that you wanted to share specifically with the audience or community members or uh, businesses or or the the general public youth even? about about how to communicate to them to the media or or uh, you know what they should be doing or what they they could be doing better it was there any any specific topics that you wanted to to share or discuss in that area I feel like Debbie's uh, point from the workshop earlier is is a really is a really good one and just in terms of you don't have to be very formal And it doesn't have to follow a protocol and we're not expecting you to follow a protocol and we're not tossing anything out. If you don't, we just want to hear from real people in, in a concise way about what their story is. I mean, everybody would be, everybody's interested in something different. There's an audience for everything, but yeah, I feel like sometimes people are are held back by this. Like I don't have, I don't really know the right way. There's, there isn't really, Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a right way. That we just want to hear from people, hear stories, and and uh, but you know, in a All concise right. way. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I, I'll just, I'll just build on that. I think it's, you know, we get contacted by tweet, right? Like, there's, you don't need to send a giant briefing document to us. If it's a compelling story, if somebody's being honest and authentic, they have something really valuable to share to the audience, they should not hesitate. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would also say as a, as a, a kind of a, a tip, sometimes the specific is general. So if someone has somebody doing something for a reason that they want to share with us, that goes a longer way than I have to make it general and for everybody. Because there, people get inspired by specific examples, right? We can see and imagine it. We can hear the voice. And then that inspires and can create ideas in others of what to do. That's great advice. Really good. It's, I was just thinking that when you send a message on Twitter or Facebook, and you know how like you, you can see when people see the message, you know, like you, you see it and, and then if you don't get a response, you sort of feel internally like, like offended, you know, like, is it, but, 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 and that might be a block for some people reaching out like that. They don't, you know, as in they feel like they have to formalize it or if I don't get back or if they see my message and they don't respond, or, you know, but, but that's, that's kind of, I think you just have to overcome that and just yeah. understand that, that that's just part of the process when you, when you're trying to communicate events and, and important, um, you yeah, know, and events. You know, it's hard not to take stuff personally, right? Right. That's, that's, um, that's what I was getting at. It's a bit of a yeah. volume game. So there's a lot more people wanting their story to be told out there. Mm-hmm. They're sending it in. Then there are the people on the end receiving it and trying to filter and make sense and make decisions every day. Mm-hmm. That said, we have seven hours across Quebec daily radio programming mm-hmm. and, and we want to fill them. So we want to hear them. And that's just radio. Mm-hmm. There's digital stories, there's TV stories, there's ways that we share and amplify what the community is doing in all kinds of other ways. So like the idea that you would say, well, I know they saw my message, but they never ever replied. So I'm never going to contact that person again. 
don't take it so personally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have a story that's worth telling, please do share the next one with us. Share, like find a way to say that happened, but I'm going to continue to to share because it's Mm -hmm. important. Yeah. Yeah, build those, continue build those relationships with them. Yeah. You know, you're, like you say, you're, you're a broadcaster, you're, you're a person out there, you know, on the beat, as they say, I guess. But, well, yeah, Andrew, did you have anything you wanted to add oh, to that? No, just what we've said before, which is hmm. also if you pitch to a show, the show, that show might not take it. But we really do often share between shows and we do often say like, oh, I, I, you know, I can't take this for daybreak or, but I could, I've definitely passed it along to another mm-hmm. show. So yeah, we, we were eager to tell your uh-huh. stories. We are, we are, we don't think that we're not, we're approachable and we're eager. It yeah. just might not happen right at the time that you want it to, but keep trying. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of factors involved in why perhaps your story might not have been told that day many factors all of most of which are usually not even related yes. to what <laughs> what you pitched yeah. it's interesting and going back to the start of the conversation when you said that that when you we you dealt with media literacy and and a day in the life of a journalist that could be really a great way to communicate what you know the variables that go into play and the things that behind you know the behind the scenes factors that that come to pass to whether the story goes ahead or not or what have you for that time so there's a lot of those things that you know the general public don't really don't really know so it'd be it'd be you know that those workshops that you or that information that you mentioned before would be great um i i know i don't have you for too much longer just a couple of more minutes but was there any final thoughts or anything that you wanted to share with any anything on your mind that you wanted to talk about you know media moving into the future or how community community organizations can continue to work with the media moving forward or any any particular topic you wanted to finish off with? I guess I can, I don't know, it's so hard to know what the future is when you're, especially after the last year that it's we're tough, isn't it? Yeah. the time that we continue to, to be in. But I, I feel like the pandemic in many ways, hopefully, has been a leveler for some of that formality. I feel like we've been seen inside the homes of almost every journalist that we thought perhaps was on some kind of a facade or some other level. And those um, those curtains and formalities have dropped down so that we've left space for informal conversation, sharing, openness, so we can get at the real stories that people have to share that are so valuable for wider audiences. So if there's a way that we can now experience uh, better understanding between cultural groups and organizations, the media, all of that, that would be kind of my wish that if there's anything good to come out of this pandemic, it, it has taken us to that point where we're, where everybody realizes we're all putting our pants on one leg at a time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if there, if there's a way for us to use the last year in a positive way for media, it is just that to take down some of the intimidation that comes with being called or calling on mm-hmm. someone in the media, and just using it and realize that we're kind of all all in this together. Yeah, or to break down that we only cover certain types of stories too. Yeah, that's something else because I thought, you know, we are we are trying our best to be um, as broad as possible in terms of who we represent and who we speak about. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and, and coming on What's Literacy Got to Do With It, our our podcast, and and I wish you all the, all the best moving forward and hopefully we get you back in to do some some other media literacy workshops like you say or or a life a day in the life of a journalist debbie and andrew thank you so much thank you thank you finally we celebrate with volunteer literacy tutor kathy lapore from the Yamaska Literacy Council and recipient of the 2020 Frida Hudson Volunteer Recognition Award. Congratulations, Kathy. What an accomplishment and a worthy reward for a, the positive impact you're having in people's 
lifelong learning journey. Congratulations. We are here today with Kathy Lepore from your Masca Literacy Council and the recipient of the 2020 Frida Hudson Volunteer Recognition Award. Way to go, Kathy. How are you going this morning? I'm doing fine, thank you. Excellent. And you? Excellent. We I'm fantastic. I'm uh, I'm not getting too hot. I'm not too humid at the moment, so I'm excited and I'm I'm excited about celebrating your award because the Frida Hudson Volunteer Recognition Award is presented annually to an active volunteer who has made a significant contribution to literacy. So, Kathy, that's you, and and how do you feel about that? Well, I've gotten a couple awards lately, and the first time I got one, and I I was so taken back that I was shocked. Okay. <laughs> so um, I I feel very honoured about it. My involvement with literacy has been with one student who works very hard with me, uh, has made a lot of progress. So for both of us, because she's getting a little award next week, and uh, oh. it, it means a lot to people when they work really hard. So I, I feel really good about it, especially because I know it has benefited a, a woman who has worked very, very hard to improve her literacy. That's amazing. And can you can you share a little bit about the award that she'll be uh, winning next week, or is is it is it sort of confidential? No, it's not confidential. It's going to happen over here where I live <laughs> because okay. they were going to give an award um, to her and then and also to me as a sort of a couple in the bookstore. But it, that's not a very good place to be when you're trying to keep COVID out. Mm. So they decided they could come. Could they come here? And so yes, unless it rains, but because um, we have a nice outdoors, we can set up and, and have that, that session, which would be nice. And people are getting, they would like to come and see my gardens <laughs> as well. Wonderful. Because I, uh, I have some nice gardens. And the beaver, yeah, the beaver there. lake, you've got the beaver lake at your place. Is that what yes. you're saying? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do have a beaver lake and he's, and he slaps his tail when he's irritated with us, but that's all right. <laughs> We have all oh, sorts amazing. of other creatures in the pond, you know. We we have all sorts of creatures in that pond. Right. So, it, it, so you're you're in the Yamaska region, aren't you? We're we're outside of Knowlton. Okay. Uh, a little bit. I'm getting my east and west mixed up. West, and um, we're in a valley, so we've got a pond and hills and every kind of creature you can imagine out there. Well, did did you know that Frida Hudson was actually from the Yamaska? region because you, you didn't get a chance to meet her did you no no i didn't okay. um, i think i knew she was around here but i didn't uh, I, I have never met her yeah well i i read off of actually our website that she went back to umasca literacy council as a director tutor and chairperson after actually many years as director and chairperson of literacy quebec so someone someone very dedicated to to literacy absolutely absolutely well, and our current leader at the Yamaska um, Literacy is very committed as well. Yeah, when, really, Wendy's amazing, isn't she? Wendy, yes, she is. She she has energy and knowledge that mm. <laughs> is uh, huge. I mean, can you tell us a bit about your background and what your actual role there, volunteering role at Yamaska uh, Literacy Council is? Okay, I joined up uh, two, three years ago, I guess. No, six years ago, because I there was somebody in our, our choir, which I sing with, the Popery Choir, um, who was working there at the time. She has since died, but she was encouraging us to go find out about literacy. And so when I heard about it, I said, oh, I want to be involved. I'd like to teach somebody and share knowledge with her or him. And so they matched me up with this woman who was in her, let's see around 50, and has difficulty learning and was brought up in a family that was poor and spent more of her time trying to help her mother than doing anything else. So it, oh, it's, yeah, so she, but she wants to, she wanted to, and she wants to do better. So uh, she has been my student since then. And we have, well, we get along very well, obviously. Mm. And, uh, we even do some of our, our work online. She's not a computer whiz. Uh, it's not a computer person. 
So sure. when we found the the story that she wanted to get through, she wanted to finish a program on child psychology that she had started years ago, but she stopped because she was taking care of her dying mother. Mm. And so we, I said, well, you got any information on that? And so she looked back in her bags and, and <laughs> She doesn't exactly have a filing system, so it must have taken her ages to find these papers. But she found the name of the company that was doing this kind of uh, tutoring. And um, I got in touch with the person, and I, and he says, yes, she can go back into it, and we can um, help her to do, to do that. So she got back into that program, which is an online program. So what would happen, they, they were very nice in this company. They allowed it, her information to come from me and to me okay. so that uh, I would print out the information and I'd get it to her. And then if I had to send it back to them and this is what happens, you know, so I spent quite a bit of time on the computer uh, just coordinating this and she's done well, she's done very well. And she just got her certificate in child psychology from this group uh, a while back. Wow. And that was her big, big goal because she has a son who is um, a difficult son with, okay. with emotional issues. So, so that has been our, um, that has, was our plan for, it took us five or six years to get her to that point, but she did, does have her diploma now in that and has gained through it enormous, enormous confidence. Confidence. Yes. Wow. What a valuable, she, valuable thing to have in your life, huh? Yeah. And she, she's a, a, a small person who was made fun of a lot of when in, in her younger days. Mm. And she's learned to stand up to people. I, I mean, you Excellent. know, this, this tutoring is not just um, about facts and math and English. It's about developing a person's confidence. So she's able to do what she can do and, right. and she's just blossomed she has blossomed through this so it's really uh, it's it's exciting for her it's exciting for me it's exciting for the literacy uh, program yeah um, to have somebody make that kind of progress that's such a great success story and and only only up from here it's just the beginning isn't it yes yes she wants to continue so <laughs> so we just find more alleys. I mean, math is still a big issue for her, so we might get okay. back into that a little bit, you know. And literacy is, can be math too. Kathy, you're a busy person, and so how do you fit volunteering into your life? <laughs> I am a busy person. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting thing. Well, I have a very cooperative husband, I have to admit, you know, so, so I'm busy running hither and thither. He deals with it, and um, he doesn't drive right now either, so that means okay. I'm driving hither and thither. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just a matter of accommodating these things in your life and uh, squeezing everything else in between when you, when you have the time. Mm -hmm. uh, time seems to be an issue for me, at, you know, often, because I'm, I'm busy doing this and that. Sure. So, uh, but having uh, a uh, mate a husband who is supportive of everything I do makes a huge difference. I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody being able to put as much time into something like this without the cooperation of, of the family or the mate or the husband or the wife or whatever. So, so I'm very fortunate. I have Great. a wonderful man. Hey, shout out to the wonderful husband. And and that goes probably for listeners. It's probably important to communicate with your partner, especially if you're investing time and your life into volunteering. It's such a an amazing feat, but it, it requires some communication with your partner. It does, but he's an extremely good man. He he's a um, he was an orthopedic surgeon. Wow. And there are very often people who call and, and ask advice and he's always willing to you know see them or refer them to somebody not mm. to treat them but you know just to give them advice and or to reassure them that this ache or that pain is is not something that's going to ruin their lives kind of thing right so he he's a good guy that's a very good guy 
good for you. You sound like you've got a catch there, Kathy. So a keeper, as we say, <laughs> and uh, and he's done very well himself. Um, <laughs> so can I ask you, Kathy, how have you adapted the way you volunteer, especially over the last twelve to eighteen months? Well, it's been tar- it's been difficult with COVID. Mm. When Diane and I get together, we have to both wear masks and keep some distance. But we've been doing a lot of it online. And her son is more computer literate than she is. He, he has okay. other issues. But every now and then he'll help her get online so that she can speak to me. But we use the phone a lot. The good old telephone? Than, yeah, the good, the old, good old telephone. Good old telephone? Okay. Good old telephone. Yeah, so so if, if she's having problems... With whatever she's working with, uh, she calls, and uh, we set up a time if I'm not available right then, and we do it over the phone, and and it works. You know, it's a little bit slow, and it would be easier if I could just be sitting right next to her. Yeah. But nowadays with the COVID, we try to avoid that, but it's working. It's working. We find find our systems, and she calls me and uh, says, you know, I don't understand what this means. And so we go over it, and um, if she still doesn't later, she can call me back again. Okay. Excellent. Well, finding ways, being creative and adaptive in the way that you're volunteering has especially been a, uh, I guess you could call a theme in the last 12 months uh, because of because of the pandemic and so forth. So, so congratulations on that. Can, can I ask you, what would you say to encourage people who are thinking about volunteering and, at an organization? Oh, man. (laughs) I think if you can find the time, and it does take time. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, I spend a fair amount of time on this. The reward for the person you're helping, as well as for yourself, knowing that you're helping that person is enormous, is enormous. I, I feel so good about our relationship together. I've met a lot of interesting people. I have a close relationship with Wendy Says now. Because because of my relationship with Diane and how it's been working, sure. so um, it's it's very interesting. Wow! And it's very rewarding. Fantastic. So I guess Kathy, where to from here? Then, what's your plans for the future at, at UMassco Literacy Council and and volunteering? Well, I will continue. Um, whether I could handle an extra student or not, I'm not sure. Uh, but the day may come when I can. And um, I, I I know that Wendy um, Wendy and I have a good re- working relationship. So sometimes uh, she'll call on me to be involved in something. So and and that's okay. Uh, I'll do whatever I can when I can do it. But she she also knows that I'm kind of busy lady. Sure. But I'm I'm there's a there's a um, what I call it a get together of people to give out some awards this week. And they were going to hold it in the bookstore, which is, I mean, books and literacy go together, right? And, you know, I said, hmm, I don't know. It might be a little too close in there COVID-wise, right? Well, Wendy and I must think about these things at the same time. (laughs) She called me. She says, I have a better idea. She said, can we go to your place and do this outside and we're safer? So I said, oh, sure, you can come here. So we organized it together. And, and so the people who are getting the awards, which are my student and me, actually, we're going to be outside doing this. Hopefully it won't be raining. Cool. But if it does, we'll move into the screened in porch, which is <laughs> functional. Uh, not as nice, but I mean, it's, it's, we live in a beautiful spot. We, we have a pond, a beaver pond in the back, which I swim in when it gets warm enough. And hills around, and the stream goes through the pond, and so we see um, beavers, otters, mink. Amazing, all sorts of stuff in there. Yeah, it's a, so it's a it's a nice spot to get people together. So we're gonna hope it doesn't rain. If it rains, we'll move in. <laughs> As I said, we have the screened-in porch, but um, so they're going to be giving an award to Diane, an award to me Excellent. that day. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm feeling like over-awarded right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kathy, I, I think, I think you, your award is very well earned and a reward for your effort and your passion for helping people. 
and uh, and it's just a, a worthy a worthy award that, uh, like you say, makes your students feel amazing and confident, and yourself as well. You get the same amount of reward back. Congratulations again. Uh, we're re- really, uh, really proud of you. So thanks, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you for your compliments. And, um, and I've enjoyed our talking together. Hey, uh, we're coming to the close of our show, Chris. But first, we have some very special announcements and just some updates on what's been happening at Literacy Quebec. Yep. So just a quick reminder about the Literacy Helpline. You know, it's a free service. You can pick up the phone, give us a call at one 521 8181 for assistance and the literacy helpline provides support for tasks that require reading writing digital literacy skills you know how to use a tablet how to use a computer those sorts of helping literacy skills that we want to help everybody with so pick up the phone and give us a call that number again one 521 8181 so there you go jamie and exciting i guess the scotia bank charity race there was just hey. a quick recap on it was such an amazing experience. We we helped our community recruit 36 runners to raise awareness about literacy issues in Quebec. And we raised a total of 9,750 and 65 cents, which is wow. 65 cents is really important. Yeah, get that in there. Adult, adult literacy learners, you know, it allows our members to continue their programming and their services for free to the public to help them upgrade their literacy skills uh, in the in the Quebec community. So amazing, amazing effort, everybody. Congratulations. And for all upcoming literacy events, check out our members' websites and social media LQ pages. We'll put our links in the show notes as usual. You can check that out. Everything we've ha- talked about today, you'll find that in the show notes as well. So check that out. That's our show. So thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you to our special guests. What a great episode. Thank you to Akila Newton from Big Dreamers, Debbie Hines and Andrea Stanford from CBC Montreal and Kathy Lepore. Congrats again from Yamaska Literacy Council, the recipient of the Frida Hudson Volunteer Recognition Award this year. Amazing work. And Chris, what's coming up next? What should people look out for? We got to look out for the next episode because it's International Drag Day on the 16th of July and you know what we have drag story time with Oh my god. Wow, it's going to be I'm so good. I can tell anybody anything else but it's so exciting. She's she's coming in for a, a story time on Monday, first of all Monday the 28th of June and it's going to be running weekly for 5 weeks where she comes in shares a story and this week's theme is a comedy story and then there's going to be a Q&A with Oh My God and she is absolutely hilarious. I'm so looking forward to the episode with her. So there you have it. Exciting and just as always subscribe, share our podcast write to us at admin at literacyquebec.org send us a voicemail at 514-508-6805 Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, on Twitter, LinkedIn. Our handle is at Literacy Quebec. So great to chat with you today, Chris, and hear these fantastic interviews. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Have a great month. (laughs) Ciao. See you soon.